G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This is Sunday Morning Together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. Great to have your company. Phil Edwards is my name and we're in for a real treat today as we share some uh, some good things together. Communion coming, some good inspiration coming, a bit of storytelling, uh, some good music as well uh, on the way. And my guest and co-host today, not with me in this studio, but he's in our Melbourne studio Simon Warwick, good morning to you. Good morning, Phil. Great to be with you. It's wonderful to uh, to have you here and just you know, to bring listeners in on the you know what's actually happening here. We can see each other, and I just love the fact that we can we can do this. Uh, it's almost like a picture of the church. You know, we are unified together in the same cause. Doesn't matter where we are uh, in Australia or, in fact, around the world. Absolutely, it's just amazing, isn't it? Now, just a little picture of who is Simon Warwick. You're, uh, at the moment, an interim pastor of uh, Frankston Church of Christ there in Melbourne. So interim tells me there's a bit of change going going on there at the moment. What's it like being in the middle of that? Well, it's it's interesting. We're actually at the back end of that. So okay. um, uh, the very next Sunday coming up will be my last Sunday there. Um, we've done, the board and the, the church have done an amazing job and we're actually, we've seen the move from a church that was self-confessed as dying to one now that there looks like there's going to be some great life ahead and a new pastor coming on board. So um, so that season's actually coming to an end. It's been really quite special. Wow, that's actually really uh, quite amazing that a church would say, we recognize we've got to change here. What was that whole process like? Was it hard? Because it can be pretty painful sometimes. Well, it, it really, I think I think a lot of the process had happened before my turning up, to be honest. Mm. I just held up a mirror and, um, and invited the board particularly to put language around where they're at. And once they were able to do that, my next question was, well, what would you like to do? What's next? Mm. Um, I still have this beautiful image in my mind of the chair of the board, um, an older gentleman called Jim, who was sitting there with his hands wide open just saying, we just want. God to do what he wants. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the image of, um, of this whole journey. They were open to, um, to work through real challenges with rigor, to be able to lay the past down for the sake of a brighter future. And that's where they've got to this point. So it's been a real a pr- privilege to walk this journey with them. Mm. I'm sure there are some, some good things ahead. Change is always something that uh, we don't necessarily like, but when it comes our way, we have to respond to it and we can either... I suppose just you know stick our feet in the mud, so to speak, and say I'm not moving anywhere. Or we can apply that energy that we have to get out of there and go wherever it is that that God is calling us. So good on you for for doing that. A uh, little picture also. Uh, who is um, uh, you know what's the background for uh, Simon? I understand you're you're a family man. Yeah, yeah. Um, three adult children now. So been married for. Uh, it'll be 29 years this year, and um, uh, I mean, for those listeners at home, I look so young. So 29 <laughs> years feels like a lot. <laughs> we got we got married when we were babies. Um, so 29 years, we've got three adult children. Uh, Bailey's 25, Isabel's 22, and Geordie or Jordan is 20. And um, and we just love doing life with them. Uh, we live in the outer east of Melbourne, and um, yeah, uh, happy days. It's it's a good season now. That's not always been our story, but certainly uh, that's where we're at today. So it's pretty special. Well, it's great. 
Great that you can spend some time with us this morning. Simon Warwick is my guest and co-host today on Sunday Morning Together. Interim pastor for another few days at least at the Frankston Church of Christ. So, you know, smallest church in the city of Melbourne. But you've had dealings you know, around the world and particularly in Asia, taking teams to Asia. Uh, what's, what's the church like there? Look, I've been involved in um, uh, overseas um, missions, ministry, whatever you want to call it, in Asia for actually since I was about sixteen years old. Okay, um, taking going over there myself, having a significant influence on my life, seeing what God's doing in other parts of the world. As I grew up and became a pastor, I was regularly taking teams offshore. One because of what we got to do. Uh, but more so what we got to see and what we got to bring home. And then I always love taking pastors, particularly senior pastors, and you take them somewhere like that. And then you you get them aside and you say, okay, what you've just seen and learned, how can you apply that to your context at home? What can you take from what you've seen God do here, which is miraculous. It's something that we don't often see, mm. You know, whether it be a miracle, whether it, um, it be the significant life transformation. How can you bring that home and apply that in your own world. That's been one of the most uh, fun things I've got to do over my life. What is it that is the difference, do you think? Because you just talked about miracles or things that we don't necessarily see in our Australian context. I had the same observation years ago. I had uh, the privilege of being able to go to uh, Central America, to uh, Haiti and the Dominican Republic. Uh, And one of the things I observed there was there was a much greater level of uh, spiritual awareness, and they were seeing the same thing. Their miracles were very common, but we don't see that so much here. Why is that, do you think? Great question. I think um, the spiritual awareness piece is something that I think is a significant thing. If you look at a lot of Asia, um, they come from a spiritual foundation. So um, the idea of a creator being is not new information to them. It's just redirecting them to the one that is true. Mm. Um, I, I think there's another piece to that story as well, it comes down somewhat to the the desire and the need. You know, in the West, um, really, I mean, I, I absolutely believe every person needs God, but you can live a fairly comfortable life in the West without having God in your world. Yeah. You know, we've got Medicare, we've got support, we've got hospitals, we've got all of those things that, that can kind of make our life easy and a narrative in the world that, that questions, does a God exist? Whereas if you go to Asia, for example, the does a God exist thing isn't even part of the co- the question. It's which God? Yeah. And the need is so great for God to be able to reveal himself um, just feels a bit easier. Yeah. So what do we do with that? What's the challenge for us? Um, I, I think it's about our willingness and humility to be hungry for the things of God and actually be open to them, uh, to pray with great faith that he can actually do these things. Um, I think sometimes we pray, oh, God, would you do this? And then, um, but then we resolve it ourselves because we can fix it anyway. Yeah. I, I think there's something about the humility of really saying, God, I need you to intervene and I'm going to throw everything at it that I can. Yeah. You know, the fasting and the praying and all of that kind of thing. I think, um, I, I wonder if the church in the West took the level of dedication that those in the East have what things could look like here. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And it's really in line with that scripture that says that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud, or words to that effect. Yeah. Uh, humility is absolutely the key. And, I mean, a good place to start with that is always communion, which we're going to be doing together 
uh, very right. soon. Uh, how should we be approaching that? You know, what would you say to anybody coming to communion? How they should be thinking and you know what their posture should be. Um, communion can become ritualistic sometimes. Um, it can be just a thing that you do in a part of a church service. It's you know it's slotted into the timesheet as such. But I think there's a real opportunity to come to this with a sense of um, reflection on what it actually means. You know, what did Jesus instill in the whole idea of communion with his first disciples and how did they respond to it? Mm. What can we learn for them from them and how do we apply that to us today? If we come with a heart that's that's curious and that's seeking God and really thinking about the words of what it meant, I think that can make a real difference for us. Yeah, that's good advice. And I, it's interesting when you think about humility and curiosity, they're kind of aligned really. You've got to be humble to be curious. Absolutely. Uh, about things. So that's good advice. Pastor Simon Warwick is my guest and co-host today. Uh, he's in our Melbourne studio. I'm in the Brisbane studio and you're wherever you are. So we're all in this together this morning and I invite you to uh, get prepared for communion. That's coming very soon. Sunday morning together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. It's always special to lead people in communion. And, and for me, I'm, I'm the kind of person who visualizes things. So I love to stop and actually read scripture and imagine what might be happening in that moment. And there's, there's a moment when the first communion happens with Jesus. We read about it in the Gospel of Luke. And you can imagine the disciples reclining around a table, kind of on the ground, so probably laying down with elbows up, and they're having a meal. They're just having a general meal, listening to what's going on, and then Jesus kind of rustles in the background, and, and you can almost imagine the room going silent because Jesus is about to speak. And then there's a moment he, Jesus says he took some bread and, and he broke it, and he said, hey, guys, this bread, this bread represents my body, which is given for you. And I'm going to ask you to eat this in remembrance of me. And I imagine the disciples sitting there going, all right, um, okay. Sure, no worries. We'll do that, whatever that means. We've trusted you for three and a half years. We'll we'll trust you in this as well. So, all right, I'll take the bread and I'll eat some. And then and then you know they go about their business and chat a bit more. And there's mumbling around the room. And then Jesus kind of captures their attention again, and he says, "Hey guys, you know how you just took the bread in the same way? Um, see this this glass of wine, this cup. Um, I'm going to ask you to drink this." This is the cup of the, the covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. I'm going to ask you to drink this and remember me. Now, now the idea that Jesus would be asking him to drink his blood, I don't know. Today, that sounds pretty foreign, and I'm pretty confident it was foreign to them in that time as well. I'm sure that the, the disciples went, all right, Jesus, we'll trust you. Whatever, we'll do what you say because you're Jesus. We've seen you do what you do. You've walked on the water. You've healed people. You're the Messiah. You tell us we'll do it. It was within, within hours of that moment that Jesus was betrayed, that he was arrested, that his body was beaten, that he was hung on a cross, that he died, that the disciples fled, that Peter betrayed him. Could you imagine what it was like for his disciples after that moment, come the Saturday, remembering that moment when Jesus said, do these things in remembrance of me. Come the Sunday when Jesus rose again and, and revealed himself to them. Come the Monday, the Tuesday, the Wednesday, the Thursday after that, when they spent time with him. What about when Jesus ascended back to heaven and his disciples went crazy sharing the message of Jesus and his kingdom? 
this idea of getting to remember Jesus through those elements is such a significant thing. Now we can stop and we can consider those elements and, and we can think about the, the, the pain that Jesus went through, the brokenness that he went through. We could almost imagine him as a bit of a victim of society at the time. But all of what he did was intentional. In no way was he a victim. In fact, he was actually a victor. And I wonder for the disciples, a year down the track, whenever they sat around and they ate the bread and they remembered him, they drank the wine and they remembered him. The joy that they had in remembering who he is and what he did and what he succeeded with through the dying on the cross and for him raised back to life and ascended into heaven. I'd like to think that they remembered Jesus as the victor, not as a victim. And I encourage us and invite us to do the same today. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Could you take the bread that you have now and let's take this together and remember Jesus. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. You are the king. You are the victor. We thank you that you are alive today and you've given us tools the tools of communion to remember you. I pray for my friends as they take this wherever they sit today. Let them remember who you are and what you've done. In your mighty name, amen. Sunday morning together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. We're just chatting while the song was playing there, Simon, uh, about what's happening in your world at the moment and how it really is an example of when you trust God, God is sovereign. He can be trusted that uh, you uh, decided to pull up stumps in this role as an interim pastor, knowing it was the right thing to do for the church, but you had nothing to go to, but God's been on the move nonetheless. Absolutely. It's been a really interesting journey. In fact, I finished my last um, significant role around 15 months ago. Again, it was a faith step. I just knew it was the right thing, and I had nothing to go to. Um, I stumbled into the role at Frankston um, really just to fill a gap. That's the honest truth. Mm. Um, I committed to three months just to do an interim, you know, preach the sermons, do weddings, funerals, kiss babies, that sort of stuff. Um, kind of couldn't help myself and said to the, the board, look, what can I do to help? Is there a project that we can do? Fast forward 12 months, I had no expectation to be there for a full 12 months. We had agreement that I would kind of hang around till I found my next assignment and what that was supposed to be. And I applied a few, applied for a few different things. Uh, they didn't come up. Some were really weird that I didn't get interviews or didn't get the job. I'm saying, all right, God, I trust you. Probably around, I don't know, three or four months ago, I was, I was driving somewhere and I turned all technology off and I was just praying. I said, God, I just want to know what my assignment is. Like, I feel like I'm just spinning wheels. And he said, Simon, for now, this is it. And that was so helpful for me. I was able just to lean into what I was doing, mm. make sure that I, I, I finished well and set them up for a win. Uh, come late last year, I remember chatting to um, the elders at the church and also we, we've got them to a point now where they're going through an adoption process with a larger healthy church, which is really exciting. And we, we, we kind of had the conversation and we said, look, we need to actually put a date in the diary. Like when's this going to, 
when's the next step going to happen? And I said, end of February. Just in my spirit, I knew that was right. I, I, it was just the end of February. I needed to make the decision. From a strategic perspective, it also lined up with a few other things. So that was another step of faith because I knew come end of February, that's it. <laughs> I won't have a job. I won't have a wage. And I've got a, a, a wife and I've got expenses and all that kind of stuff. That like, would be really difficult. Um, interestingly enough, um, I applied for a few roles in the last month or so. Uh, one role was so exciting to me and really leverages not just um, my skills and the gifts that God's given me, but also a lot of my history and my own story. And um, and I got offered that job Wednesday. Just oh, gone. wow. <laughs> and, uh, and I get to um, sign the bit of paper in the coming week and hopefully start the week later. So I just so look you'll at basically God's- walk from one to the next. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's only like as recent as the last few days. So up until that point, I'm like, all right, God, you got to provide something because I don't know. Like, do I go drive forklifts to Uber? Whatever, I was willing to do whatever. And God, in His beautiful generosity, made sure I finished the assignment that I had, and He said, okay, here's your next one. It's just mm. really, really, really special. That's really encouraging. I hope that's a real encouragement for somebody this morning, maybe in that that same sort of situation. Just trust God; He's got you. Yeah. Speaking of which, um, this may be a little test here for you. So we do this thing every week here at Vision called the Treasury Project, and it's basically memorizing Scripture together. Uh, Last week was around 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he'll also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. This week's is a little simpler, so we launch a new one today. Let me see if you know what it is off the top of your head. It's a very well-known verse of Scripture. (laughs) Hebrews 4 and verse 12. It's about the Word of God. I'll give you a little clue here. I can see that look on your face here. And I I look, and I'll put you on the spot here. I think I'd be doing the same. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and effective and sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. That's a powerful truth, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Sunday morning together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. All righty. Well, we've come to a bit of storytelling time this morning. Let's begin at the beginning. Where, where were you born and, and into what sort of circumstance? Yeah, look, I was born um, in a suburb called Lilydale here in Melbourne, the Outer East. So very similar to where we are, where I'm sitting right now, actually. Known for its um, chickens around the country. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I could take you to the factory if you ever want to go and see. I could point it out where it is, Phil. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, born in Lilydale. Um, uh, grew up at uh, as the youngest of four. I was the oops at the end. Uh, I've got okay. three older siblings. My brother was uh, is ten years older. I've got a sister who's eight, another sister who's five, and then um, and then yeah, I'm the oops, uh, which is you know an interesting place to be. Um, it's been a, I guess from an early age, um, there's been a whole lot of challenges to be really open. Um, my father made the decision to leave our family when I was four years old, mm, and uh, and the trauma around that was pretty significant. Um, I can take you to the place when on the way home from kinder when I said, Mum, when's Daddy coming home? And she said, he's not. And uh, and her having to carry me home from that part to my house. Um, wow. I could take you to the place. It's so locked into my mind. Um, wow. 
Yeah. So then we moved from there. We had to um, move house because mum couldn't afford to live where we were living, which meant a change of school. It meant new friends. Uh, it meant, um, you know, new bullies. <laughs> um, but it also showed me um, I had this amazing day on the first day of grade two. So I moved for a couple couple weeks at the end of grade one to let me get to know the new kids and all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there was this girl who bullied me and she was one of the teacher's kids, so you couldn't do much about it. Anyway, I was promised that she wasn't going to be part of my class in grade two, and sure enough, there she was. Um, I was bawling out the front, and this guy comes up and goes, are you okay? And um, and he was new to the school, and he just happened to be a Christian, and he just happened to be someone who's my best friend, one of my best friends now. Mm. Um, he lives in America. We, we stay in touch. He named one of his kids after me, middle name, not the first name, because that would okay. be abusive. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but but this beautiful providential moment of, of I'm in my depths, but God brought someone into my world. How old were you at so, that point? Uh, year two, so about eight, seven or eight years yeah, old. Right. Um, so we had it was a pretty challenging childhood. So you fast forward um, th- from there. Dad ended up marrying this woman that he left us for. She was quite a lot younger than him, um, and in grade five, 1985. Uh, dad um, was unwell. Um, I remember saying to mum, I just need to go see dad. We probably saw him maybe once a month um, when he'd come and bring his maintenance over, but uh, I just need to go see dad. So she took me to see him uh, at his house and we spent a little bit of time. I can't remember what happened, but the next time I saw him, he was in hospital. Uh, He'd had cancer. He'd probably had it for some time as a workaholic. He probably denied it. And in a very short period of time, I remember it as weeks. It was probably, I don't know, a month, but he went from there and he passed away. Wow. So that was 1985. Um, he passed away. Um, fast forward a couple of months. Sorry, Phil. Um, I don't, we're going to. Well, I'll just say that's a lot to deal with for, you know, for a young kid. Very. Yeah. lot to deal with. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, um, all I can say is the power of a praying mum. And um, having good people around in a church community probably is why I'm sane today. <laughs> um, so yeah, a few months later than that. So that was October twenty, uh, October eighty five, or early eighty six. My stepmother, so dad and this lady got married. Um, she was actually um, found had been murdered in her house here in Ringwood, um, and that crime was actually still. Um, unsolved and still is unsolved um the person um went to court a year or two ago with that and um, was found not guilty um so i won't get into my opinions on that but um uh so yeah so 86 that's where that happens so grade six you've got uh, a kid who's um on the outside was pretty good at acting the clown and probably looking okay on the inside i was pretty broken hurt and angry um so that's kind of my childhood. Then we haven't even touched the, the surface of my teenage years yet. So let's go to those teenage years, actually, uh, now, Simon. What was it like for you? Because that can be a pretty rough time for a lot of people, especially when you had to deal with some of the stuff that you had to under 10. Yeah, look, I think um, I was chatting to a friend uh, some time ago who is um, we were mates through high school, and he, he recalls things that happened, and, and a lot of things I don't remember. So I can only assume there was a bit of um, that trauma brain protecting me from mm. from sorts um, from remembering some things along the way. Um, so I, um, uh, in my early teens, early high school, mum found another guy that she met at church. Um, he was lovely, and then they got married, and then his true colours came out. Um, he's a man who um, he just he, he was angry. Mm. 
he was angry, so he'd yell and scream all the time. Um, I, with the benefit of looking back as an adult, uh, I just don't think he knew how to communicate well. And so he went to anger, um, which meant that through my high school years, um, I just struggled. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't concentrate. I did okay the further I went on to, into high school. I really got to the point where um, mum actually let me quit halfway through year 12. Right. Yeah. And, and in Victoria, that's that was part of a two-year VCE thing. So I'd done three quarters of it. And I remember saying to mum, I can't do this anymore. And she goes, well, just quit. And I went, oh, am I allowed to do that? She said, yes. <laughs> it's, it's a bit nuts and it's a bit weird. But I asked her as an adult, why did you let me do that? And she was actually concerned I was going to have a nervous breakdown right. just with the complexities of everything that I was carrying. So on the surface, I was a kid who went to church. I had gone on my first missions trip to China when I was 12. I went to India when I was 16. There was a lot of good godly stuff on the front end, but the back end or inside, I was just hurting and angry and bitter. Yeah, that, that's. Uh, I'm curious to find out more about how that actually played out for you. And I guess there's a tension you're talking about here because you know you grew up in a Christian home, but yet you went through some pretty tough things. You know, your your dad left left the family. Uh, married another woman, he then died, and then there's this abusive situation and a lot of lot of pressure. How did mm. you how did you deal with that conflict? Um, in the moment, I, I think I reverted to compartmentalisation. Um, I was able to block things in certain things. So again, I I have shared this story publicly in the past, and I had someone from school coming and saying I had no clue that you went through what you went through mm. because I guess I compartmentalised it, but underneath. Um, there was this rising bitterness and anger yeah. um, that I had to had to resolve. At some point in your life, though, something changed. And uh, mm. growing up in a Christian home, going to church, that sort of stuff, that's that's fantastic. But you've got to get to this place of a personal realisation of God and and really accepting him into your life. When did that happen for you? So I, I, I got baptised when I was eight, so that's where it started. But with the challenges that I faced, um, I got to my late teenage years and um, and met Jill, who's my now wife, and we just stopped going to church. It was just too hard. Um, I had this image of, okay, if if God's supposed to be a father, my experience of that has not been good. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it be my natural father or my stepfather, why would I why would I trust that? Um, so in my late teens, left church entirely. Um, when we we got married, when we weren't Christians. Um, we were, but I didn't want to hurt my mum by just living with my girlfriend because that would upset her. So we thought, let's, all right, let's do the right thing. There was that kind of still underlying moral compass, I think, for us. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, uh, early twenties, we both kind of had our own encounters with God. Um, I got a letter from that mate, the grade two mate, um, who was now in YWAM, Youth with a Mission, and said, Simon, I feel like God wants me to, this could just be because I'm in youth with a mission too much. So if it makes no sense, I'm just being super spiritual. But here's a verse, I want you to read it. And couldn't tell you the verse, but I remember feeling like God said, it's time to come home. Mm. So what did you and, do? Uh, well, um, unbeknownst to me, we were Jill and I were going through this season where one day we'd wake up and, do you want to go to church? And the other would go, no. And then the next week it was the opposite way around. And that happened for a while. Um, Jill also had her own moment. And uh, couldn't sleep or woke up or whatever and said, all right, God, if you want to speak to me, I'm going to open my Bible and you show me something. And she opened her Bible and there was a story of the prodigal son. And um, for her, that was just her her moment of saying, okay, this is time for me. So we dipped our toe back in. Mm. Um, 
we went back to church. Thankfully, I was at a church that um, what's now Discovery Church was Life was Careforce Church back in the day, and they had these programs called Life Keys programs. Um, I, I got to learn a lot about family of origin. I got to learn a lot about forgiveness and the impact of that on my life rather than the other person. And it was a journey of, of um, God gently restoring me. Yeah. Would it be fair to call that season in your life a transformation season? Um, with the benefit of looking back, yes. Um, in the moment, it's sometimes you don't see the growth till you look back in hindsight. I think sometimes we're looking for the big um, lightning bolt moment that changes everything, and that does happen for some people at some times. It was more of a gradual change, is that what you're saying? Yeah, very much so. It was it was kind of layers, you know, Shrek and his onion. Um, <laughs> you know, you peel off another layer and there's a bit more to work on. You peel off another layer and there's an up, there's more to work on. And um, I think God's been generous. He's, he's allowed me to keep mining and keep digging yep. and keep understanding, which has brought healing. Yeah, yeah. that's It's a really important point because we often want that big flash in the sky that's like everything's going to change all of a sudden, but it's it's kind of by degrees, isn't it? That's been my experience, yeah. Mm. So where did that direction change lead you to and over what sort of term? Yeah, so um, fast forward to early 20s, um, I was very focused on the climbing the corporate ladder. Uh, my dad was successful in business, so that's what I was going to do and um, and did pretty well. Um, was in sales and marketing, sales management, and I did exactly that. I climbed up to um, in my about 28 I was when I was – um, in a national role, multiple national roles at once in an international company, and um, and it felt hollow. Mm. Um, I remember getting to the end of the year after working really hard to sell a whole lot of power tools. It was which I love power tools, are good. Um, <laughs> sell a whole lot of power tools to people, um, and you get to the end of the year and you've had a record year, and then you're back to dollar zero. Yeah, and I remember <laughs> saying to God, "This is hollow." <laughs> yeah, I just want to do what you want me to do. Yeah. So what, what did you do? Well, I, I did almost have that lightning bolt moment. I was sitting in church. We were sending some people across. Um, we were sending people on mission at our church, and I made that, that statement, God, I just want to do what you want me to do. And clear as a bell, in my mind, I heard God say, go to Bible college next year. And I literally looked around the room. Um, then when I realized it wasn't some, an audible thing, I argued with him in my head for a while and said, okay, what about my career? What about money? What about the wife, mortgage, three kids? Like, how am I going to do this? And God just kept saying, do you trust me? Are you willing to trust me? Do you know who I am? Will you, will you listen to me? Mm. So at the end of that, I, my, my final, you know, how Mary, Mary or whatever you call it was, <laughs> you have to tell my wife. Yeah. You have to tell Jill. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, I'm not doing this unless you tell her. You mean tell her independently of you, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Because from my perspective, if, if things went off, if, if she just trusted me in this and things went off the rails, she'd have every right to point at me and say, you did this. Yeah. Um, I didn't want that. <laughs> so yeah. I figured God's got bigger shoulders than me, so he's got to tell her. <laughs> so, I'm presuming so he, I'm presuming he did because you went off well, to Bible college. Interestingly enough, we were driving home that day and I said to Jill, I think God wants me to go to Bible college next year. And she just started smirking at me. I'm like, why are you smiling? She's gone, I've known for about three months now. I've just been waiting for you to work it out. <laughs> so <laughs> you can't argue with that, right? <laughs> yeah. So, there's so that's what we did. There's practicalities here though, right? So if you, you're you quitting your job, you're going off to study full-time into anything, mm -hmm. uh, you've got to pay the bills. Yeah. What, what happened for you? 
Oh, miracle after miracle, really. Um, I, um, I mean, I got uh, government support because I was studying full time, so that helped a little bit. Um, after the first 18 months of study, my church gave me a couple days a week, uh, which helped a little bit. And I'm a bit entrepreneurial, so I set up a business on eBay. Okay. <laughs> um, Selling power not, tools? Uh, well, I'd started with that, yeah. I would buy pallet loads of um, returned line trimmers and blower vacs from Ryobi because I was connected there, and I would fix them in my garage and sell them on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you, you got do to, what you have to do, that's hey? That's exactly right. You've got to be resourceful. Simon, I'd love to actually go back to those early days and the, the things that happened to you. Often those things can still be there. You can suppress them down. They can rise to the surface later on. How, how has that played out for you? You've clearly been able to deal with that. And how? How have you done that? I think I mentioned before I did um, some um, what we call life keys programs, which helped me understand family of origin, helped me understand how God works, who I am, um, the value that he has in me. Um, but the big thing for me was um, was learning to forgive. And not just that I had to forgive, but how to forgive. Mm. Because often um, we look at people who have done the wrong thing and we can, in ourselves, we feel like, well, they don't deserve to be forgiven. Mm. They've done the wrong thing and they haven't repented. They haven't apologized. Why, why should I forgive them? But what I've learned is forgiveness is actually um, holding, my unforgiveness is holding me back. It's actually affecting me. Yeah. Um, the Bible talks about being required to forgive. And um, as I've studied it, I've learned it's not a feeling. And we've often attribute forgiveness to a feeling. I believe it's an act of obedience to God. Um, we forgive others as he forgives us. If we want him to forgive us, we need to be able to live a life of forgiveness. Mm. So that's been a catalyst for me. Mm. I've heard it said often that uh, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It's a very powerful picture, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And that's and that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned. Um I have had to choose to forgive, and at times I've had to say, God, would you help me choose to forgive? Mm. Would you help me live in this forgiveness? And just found his grace in that. But here's the interesting thing. What I found, when I chose to forgive these people and I kept working through it, um, God actually allowed me to start to ask questions of their journey, you know, to find out that my dad had his own really challenging childhood. His mum passed away when he was young. His father was abusive, and he was just living out of what he knew and how he knew to live. Because I'd forgiven him, I was able to understand him more. And the more I understood him, the easier it was to forgive him mm. because he was responding to his own environment. Yeah. Isn't that a so real – powerful? it's a real key in anything. The more we understand, the more that we can, I suppose, relate or empathize with somebody's situation – it still mm. might, might not make it right, but the more mm. we can actually get to that real human level and go, yeah, actually, I get it. It's still bad. It's still wrong. I get it. And I'm broken too, just like them, even though I might not do the same, the same thing. It's a very powerful thing. And I, and I suppose it comes out of what you said before about, as we were talking about communion, having curiosity. Uh, being mm. curious toward why is this other person behaving this way? And being free enough to be able to let go whatever it is. And, and in some cases, it's pretty big stuff. But that sets us free. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, and again, if we hold on to it, we're the ones who are affected by it. Mm. My kids will get affected by who I am. Mm. And I don't want to pass that on to the next generation. Yeah. So um, I've been able to, because of this, I've been able to have really honest conversations with my kids. And when I've messed up, I've learned to apologize quickly. Yeah. And give them space to be okay with dad not being perfect. And that's been significant for us. Yeah. That's good. Well, let's switch gears a little bit before we wrap this up. I understand you've got a, um, what some people might say, a bit of a bizarre um, little uh, little hobby there at home. Um, you're a farmer, I understand, <laughs> of sorts. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I really appreciate you throwing me under the bus. Um, look, COVID in Victoria was tough, right? We had to find something to do to make ourselves sane. And I started with the garden. And then when you start going down the bunny trail of YouTube clips, you find worm farming. So, yes, <laughs> I have two worm farms and uh, it's all about the garden. No, look, this this is a good thing. Worms are incredibly important and uh, you'll, you'll be growing some good stuff if they're if they're nice and healthy. But what sort of scale are we talking about here with these worm farms? Well, I mean, I, yeah, it's not that big. I mean, I've got, um, I've got a thing called a hungry bin, which is like a flow-through thing. It's like a 240-litre um, um, wheelie bin that's designed that you just keep chucking on your stuff in the top and the good stuff comes out the bottom. And then I've just got like another little maize worm farm thing that I started with. So it's not that big a scale. Like we're talking, you know, if you, if you go in, um, you know, the cattle language that I would speak to when I was up in uh, regional Victoria, we've got a couple thousand head of, uh, of <laughs> Of worms. Your trouble is which end is the head? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the one that the food goes in, I assume. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, you can work that out. All the best <laughs> with your worm farms. And I'm going to put you on the spot Thanks, here, mate. actually, because very shortly you're going to give us the best five-minute sermon that we'll hear today. So, you know, you're a preacher. So just yeah. just real quick, how do you make a sermon out of being a worm farmer? What's the, what's the gem, uh, you know, the learning out of that biblically? Well, talk about putting me on the spot. Um Biblically, um, look, you need, in a garden, you need high-quality manure to grow things, and worms <laughs> give you the best quality manure for growing things. Good things come out of the poo of life, is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> That's a better summary, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, very good. Now, look, you are going to be preaching uh, very shortly. The best five-minute sermon we'll hear today, so what's that going to be about? Um, it's all about the challenges we face in life and how we as Christians should respond. Sunday morning together on Vision Christian Radio. Evil seems to be prevailing in our world at the moment. Have you ever noticed that there seems to be more negative stuff happening, happening around the world at the moment? With all the destruction in the world, truly we're in a season where darkness seems to reign. 40.3 million people in modern day slavery. Wars between Russia, Ukraine, the devastation we see between Palestine and Israel, sex trafficking at an all-time high, ever the ever-increasing attack on the family and the provocation of the woke mindset. What previously was safe and normal is now considered outdated and at worst evil. Christians feel under attack. What was a Christian nation is further becoming, uh, less and less becoming a Christian nation, the nation that it once was. As Christians, we can feel like we're under attack and we need to fight. And fight we must. Right now, there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of good and the kingdom of evil, the kingdom of heaven and hell. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of every of evil in the heavenly realms. But how do we fight? Some choose not to because they don't care. But most want right to prevail. For many, we just don't know how, or are exhausted for trying. You know, I grew up in the 80s and I was a big fan of the WWF as a kid, you know, the World Wrestling Federation and, and um, you know, watching these these hulky, massive men, good versus evil, um, Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. They'd be fighting each other, bouncing off the ropes. They'd be hitting each other hit for hit for hit until one held the other down for the count. One, two, three. If it was a good guy, you were cheering. If it was a bad guy, I remember being left with this idea of just wait till next time, buddy, you'll get yours. As Christians, we feel like we're in a similar battle. Darkness seems to be encroaching in every angle. We need to fight the enemy. We need to make sure that truth is known. What's wrong needs to be righted. The, the world seems to be going crazy. It feels like this blow for blow. I remember some time ago on social media, a Christian friend of mine was arguing with someone who wouldn't have been a Christian about the importance of Christian values. To what value did that bring? Really nothing. There are battles, and as Christians, we do need to fight. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Knowing this, we often find ourselves praying against darkness. The darkness can at times capture more of our attention and energy than it deserves. I wonder if we change the metaphor. If we change it from a wrestling match, blow for blow, to maybe flicking on a light switch. In John 1, 4 and 5, it says this, In him, talking about Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 8, 12, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Matthew talking to his disciples, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, some years ago, I was driving through the South Australian outback and got um, diverted from the route that I was taking between um, Port Augusta and Wyala. Because of this diversion, and it was late at night, I, I was very close to running out of fuel. And, I, and, and Wyala was far too far away for me to be able to fill up from there. I remember driving in the dark darkness going, God, just get me to Wyala, just get me to Wyala. And then in the distance, there was the lights. As I approached more slowly, the lights grew brighter and my anxiety started reducing. You know, it wasn't until I got to um, the welcome to Wyala sign that my my car ran out of fuel. But the comfort and safety that the light brought was really significant. You know, what does light do? It brings comfort and safety. It helps with direction. It allows us to see it attracts. And the most important thing is this, light removes darkness. Darkness isn't the opposite of light, it's the absence of light. So when we fight for light, when we turn on that switch, darkness loses its power. Jesus said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. Let us be the light to those around us. Let us serve them. Let us love them. Let us do whatever we need to do to show them that. In the same way, Jesus said, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's my prayer for you today. Lord Jesus, I pray for my friends today. Father, thank you for the words of you are the light of the world. I pray that when we feel challenged by the difficulties that the world is showing us, 
remind us that we can be your light and give us opportunities to serve the needy, to love the lost, and that we might shine your light on your behalf. In your name, amen. This is Sunday Morning Together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. And we're nearly at the end of our time together today. It's been uh, lovely to spend some time with the Pastor Simon Warwick, uh, who's currently the interim pastor at Frankston Church of Christ in Melbourne. And uh, normally, as we get to the end of things here, Simon, I will ask my guest to lead us in a prayer for Australia. But before we get to that, how ought we be praying uh, for our nation, do you think? How do, how do we posture ourselves toward that task? Um, I, I guess when we come back to the message that I shared around um, where our focus should be, um, we can we can see the, the challenges and the devastation and all the difficult things are happening, and we can that can become our focus. Mm. But what if the Christian community really focused on doing what Jesus asked us to do? Love God, love others. Yeah. And if that was our primary focus, if we if we put all our energy into being Christ for others around us, well, again, light isn't um, the opposite of darkness; it's the absent of. Mm. So when we can see more, when we can see Jesus's light shine through us in more places, then um, our world is going to be a better place. Mm. That's a really good thought. I love how Jesus just so simply distilled it down when. Those were trying to entrap him around what the law says, and he just made it mm. so simple. Love God with all you've got. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, mm. It's so simple. Well, can you lead us in prayer? Absolutely. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that we have the privilege to call ourselves sons and daughters of you. Father, when we think about Australia, you invite us to pray for our leaders, and we do that now. We pray for our leaders federally, locally, and personally in our own environments, our own workplaces. Father, we pray that you have your hand on them, that you guide and direct them, and you reveal yourself to them in ways that they cannot deny. Father, for my friends here today, may we always remember that um, you've already won the battle that you've already uh, won when you died on the cross and when you rose again. We thank you for that. But I pray for my friends that as we go about our day, if we can reflect on the one thing, what does it look like to serve you? What does it look like to be your light in our community? And Father, I pray that as we do that, you encourage us in our days. Bless them, Lord God, in your mighty name. Amen. Mm, Amen. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us uh, on this Sunday morning. You've been a real encouragement, mate. Thanks, Phil. Really appreciate the opportunity to get to be with you. And I wish you well in your new role. You can't say what that is just yet, but uh, you've taken this step of faith to wind up what you're doing there at the moment with uh, the Frankston Church of Christ to step into who knows what. And God has brought something across your path, which we can't reveal just yet. But uh, I know you're pretty excited about what the prospects are and what's ahead. So we wish you well. and we, We pray that God will use you in a great way. Thanks so much, Phil. I am chomping at the bit. I'm looking forward to being able to announce something in the next week or so. All righty. You have a wonderful day. Catch you again next Sunday right here. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.